Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It kind of sounds like you're somebody who's been enjoying playing the cello for 15 years, a few hours a week, Mm. but is upset that you're not Yo-Yo Ma. And you have no reason to be Yo-Yo Ma because he's a professional. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. Cooking. It's one of the most basic human activities. We've probably been doing it since the discovery of fire. And yet, it's still something that we obsess over, like constantly think about, and now we even make content out of it. When I was in high school, I had this humanities teacher that said, the thing that separates humans from animals is that we take food, clothing, and shelter, and we turn them into these things with a capital T. Like we're trying to seek a balance between fueling ourselves on the one hand and the culture, comfort, ego stroking, belonging, and maybe even frivolity we find in food on the other. But here's the thing. When you have such high expectations for something so simple and vital, you can find yourself, well, paralyzed with doubt, not to mention hungry. What I struggle with the most is battling my lack of, like, technical skill like I think I'm a pretty good home cook but sometimes I wish I was better at this not just so I can eat a better product but also just it's empowering to feel like you're great at something and especially something you do every day that's Rachel Barron she's a food writer and someone who fell in love with cooking as a kid eating is responsible for many of my strongest memories My mom cooked, and she put a lot of love into her food, but it wasn't something that she saw as, like, an art or, like, a hobby or a passion. I kind of taught myself. I was starting to read Anthony Bourdain's books and watching him travel and just, you know, I would watch Ina Garten, and I would (laughs) see how food can be better, like something more. She started trying out recipes on family and friends when she was in college. Overall, it was a positive experience. They were happy to be served well-prepared and elaborate dishes, but she would find herself nitpicking her execution. Like She didn't think it was good enough. To her, a great cook is one who has a specific set of skills. You know, expansive understanding of food science and how flavors come together and, you know, like incredible knife cuts and like they their technical knowledge of like how to fix a broken sauce, for example, or, you know, why is my sourdough not rising? I think that is sort of how I would describe it. 
you mentioned memories, and I've been thinking about that ever since you said mm-hmm. it. Yeah. If you were to close your eyes and think about a time mm. in which you were cooking in the kitchen and you just felt like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is the yeah. spot. Um, uh, I think it's probably when somebody comes to eat who isn't, like, a big cook. And, like, so a recipe that I've made a few times is Marcella Hazan's bolognese mm-hmm. sauce. It was also during the pandemic, and this was kind of when it was a little bit more safe to invite people over but I remember my friend came over and you know I had spent all day I I had I'd done all the prep she was just you know really impressed and the, it came out amazing it just reminded me of how nice it was to come together with people you know after such a long hmm. drought to me that's how cooking should make us feel empowered proud full of Good food, obviously, but also maybe full of love from the people that we share the table with. So today I brought in a friend who has helped so many people find love at the table. Hi, my name is Samin Nasrat, and I'm a writer, a teacher, and a cook. Samin is the author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat and the host of a TV show of the same name. She's one of the most well-known cooks of our generation. But one of the things I adore about her style is that it's so approachable and rooted in love. Love for the art, love for function, love for tradition and community, love for the self. Rachel, I don't know you. I've never watched you cook or eaten anything you've cooked, but I already know Mm. you're a better cook than you think you are. On today's show, we're going to recalibrate our expectations in the kitchen by embracing the chaos of cooking. And hopefully, we'll learn how to nourish ourselves along the way. So put the kettle on and stay a while. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. For those of you unfamiliar with Samin Nasrat, she started her culinary journey when she was an English major at UC Berkeley. 
One night, she had a meal at Chez Panisse, which is this famous restaurant started by Alice Waters, known for pioneering the farm-to-table movement. Even though Samin had no prior culinary aspirations, one meal there, and she knew this was where she belonged. So she got a job bussing tables and eventually worked her way into the kitchen as a chef. She's gone on to cook in other restaurants in California and Italy, but as she's gained fame, what it means to be a cook has evolved as much as she has. When I first started cooking in 99, 2000, you know, most of my peers, the people around me were like, why would you want to cook? Because the idea of being a cook was really just for like kind of uneducated riffraff. I don't know. Like it was not a, (laughs) there was not, there was not, there was not like something fancy or fabulous about it. But certainly over the last 25 years, that's totally changed. It's gotten a total makeover. It's got a marketing (laughs) facelift. And that is really complicated when also cooking and eating is something that everybody does every day. And so then this message has been sent to everyone that what you do at home should look like what these people do at work. Honestly, that's a good place to start because home cooks are not professional chefs. Sure, expand your horizons if you'd like, improve your skills, but the goal can't be influencer-style, Michelin-star-worthy dishes. Otherwise, you'll always feel like you're failing. I think you've just been brainwashed by Instagram or whatever. And I'm not saying that with any judgment because I also am brainwashed by Instagram and Like, I constantly am hard on myself about the thing, whatever it is that I'm cooking. And right now, I'm making a book about the stuff that I actually cook at home. And I, every day, have to basically give myself a pep talk that it's okay that I'm not one of those internet cooks, that I'm not one of those people who makes a meal for myself and for the people around me that has, you know, a main part, two vegetables, and a condiment. Because I don't eat that way. I eat rice cooker rice, toaster, oven, broccoli, (laughs) and some chili crisp (laughs) that I either bought or made. And three times a year, or maybe a few times more, I'll do a huge project. But on the day-to-day basis, man, I eat a lot of peanut butter sandwiches, a lot of quesadillas, a lot of like super simple chopped salad. Like I'm not out here cooking that stuff. I'm not saying, you know, these things to you. I I only recognize it because Mm. I also... It it's happened to me too. So first thing is, is like, please just be a little bit nicer to yourself because you're better than you think you are. It makes me wonder if like part of the issue is that food making has gone collectively, culturally from something we do to nourish and love to something we do to acquire mm-hmm. and feel like we're matching kind of the like the capitalist sort of like, I am this valuable person because I have this great kitchen and I know all this food science. I'm 48 years old and I remember a point at which I noticed all the dudes around me were like kind of cooking douches yeah. all of a sudden. Same. And I couldn't figure out how they became that. And yeah. I, they'd be like, oh, bro, is that how you do your cast iron? No, dude, you're supposed to. Like, and they had all these, yeah. like, all this sort of, it was like, the, it was the same as the music douche or the computer douche right. or the comic book douche. And I remember that was a real turn in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Mm-hmm. But like back in the day, you had Julia Child, who I'm sure was heavily influential and a lot of people were at home trying to match that vibe or, you know, whatever. And I'm wondering, Samin, if you feel like, um, this way of using cooking in America as a way to like show achievement status has always been there? Or is that kind of like something that's really blown up over the past few years? I definitely think the beginning of it was the Food Network. And then the internet sort of exponentially sped it up. 
And then social media sort of brought it into this thing that turned it into a competition. Because before the Food Network, really the only thing we had was PBS, right? So, (laughs) and nothing about PBS is really like that aspirational or sexy. You know, like, Mm. it's very much like you just are trying to learn from it or watch it. It's Ian Can Cook and Julia Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. like you're saying, yeah, I'm sure some people were comparing themselves. But I think Mm. always Julia Child's sort of message was don't stress out too much and here are some things you can learn and let's all do this together. And so there was just so much more flashiness once there was a 24-7 channel and then the internet. And then once I think social media, then you felt pressure to have something that you could post yourself. The whole entire thing is making you feel like you're not enough and you don't have enough Mm. innately and essentially so that you have to buy something, be it an ingredient, a book, a tool, a whatever, so that you can make this thing and show everybody how good you are. Mm -hmm. You know, almost everything I cook lately, I've been like, wow, this is so beautiful and so nice and so simple. I should take a picture of it and post it. And then I'm like, nah. Like, and in its... Mm. I just have a thing where I'm like, it's just for me. Like, I can't bring myself to do it. Partly because I also know I'm that for people. So I'm like, I don't want to do that to anyone. So... Right, like, like even if you don't want to be, you are represent something that some other person is like, oh, I'm not as good as Samin. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a really complicated thing. (laughs) Samin, because I've listened to you talk to to Rishi about this so much and I've read so much of your writing um I I gotta say like you talking about your simple meals about the Annie's mm-hmm. mac and cheese uh dinners and, and, and the cheese puffs that actually has empowered me I think my food in the last year has been so much more of that like I feel like this is a very basic thing right now because mm. tinned fish is like mm-hmm. full-on like mm-hmm. like there's nothing surprising about that but like God, I mean, like, I really do like the, like, really thick slice of, like, you know, crusty bread from, like, a local bakery with, like, excessive amounts of, like, salted butter and, like, you know, a few sardines on there with, like, a little bit of lemon juice. And I also made Kenji Lopez Alt's um, three-ingredient stovetop mac and cheese, Oh, I was just looking at that recipe recently. Oh, it is really good. Yeah. I made it last night, actually. (laughs) Um, And also, um, last week, I didn't know what else to do to prepare, so I made your Ligurian focaccia for the first time. Oh, awesome. So I've been having some sardines on your focaccia. Oh, that's (laughs) fantastic. I love that. (laughs) Last night, I made a box of Annie's mac and cheese, Mm -hmm. and I didn't use the cheese sauce because it was the only noodles I had in the house. Okay. (laughs) So I made those, and then I basically just toss them with like a effectively a tuna salad like if i'm keeping it 100 like that I, sounds so good yeah i use a little this sweet soy sauce which i'm super into now and then i th- i did like a can of corn and some garbanzo beans celery salt pepper spun yeah. that around and then just put the pasta in that and that's what i had right. for dinner i just ate it out of the bowl in front of like yeah. tv and it was like yeah. one of the best meals i've had in a long time so i've been eating a lot of meals out of big Steal, like like prep bowls mm-hmm. and like it I used to not be able I, I had to plate it for myself and then I was like what what is this nonsense like, <laughs> Rachel wasn't always this relaxed in the kitchen there was a time when throwing things together willy-nilly would have been difficult for her she recently wrote about this in the Washington Post quote as someone living with chronic anxiety 
I used to be so fearful of creating something inedible and then having to literally eat my failure that the thought of so much as swapping in light brown sugar for dark would push me to nearly break down before I'd even begun making my cookie dough. With time and practice and plenty of therapy, I eventually started to ease up on myself. Life, I've learned, is chaotic. Occasional failure is inevitable. Why stress yourself out by fighting it? And that's when she discovered chaos cooking. I was reading this post by Ethany Lee. It was called Chaotic Pavlova. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a huge meringue that is uh, crisp on the outside and soft and gooey on the inside. Um, you know, she used things like butterfly pea extract to give it this vibrant blue color. And it was kind of a mess. A beautiful one, though. If you haven't seen these pavlovas, look them up. Yes, there's chaotic colors like blues and greens and purples, but overall the desserts are giving way more whimsy than mistake. But Rachel wasn't only drawn to the bright colors, she also resonated with how Ethany talked about mental health. She feels chaotic, like like emotionally and physically, and I related to that like so much. Like I've been living with like, you know, chronic anxiety my entire life. Sometimes it is paralyzing and some days I want to eat something insane, like a crazy <laughs> amount of butter, you know, or like double, triple portion of like pasta or whatever. Put simply, chaos cooking is really just cooking beyond boundaries. Like the recipe calls for Parmesan in that potato dish. Okay, but you only have cheddar. Use that. And then what would happen if you squeeze a little lime on it? Maybe a hint of maple syrup. Maybe it's good. Or maybe next time you make it and you go more spicy than sweet. Chaos cooking is more about learning your own tastes than it is about memorizing steps. And to be fair, most of us are already doing that. I mean, those of us who are older may have already learned to cook entirely that way. But with the prevalence of cooking influencers and food media, it's becoming harder and harder for people to feel comfortable just vibing in the kitchen. Sometimes chaos is really painful and we don't have any control over where it goes. And so how can we take chaos and make it into something that feels good to eat and is beautiful, even if it's kind of a train wreck? Yeah, chaos is like the word du jour. It's like the word of the year. And if, the reason it fits is because it describes so many things that we're experiencing. Right. The Like the politically it's been chaotic, climate is chaotic, it's chaotic. Yeah. And so it feels to me similar to eating out of the prep bowl, it's like we need to behave in a way that we feel is aligned right. with how the world is going. Mm, and yeah. we just went through this crazy mm. pandemic. We're still going through it, but yeah. where we've separated ourselves from one another and everyone's spending a lot more time alone and at home. And yeah, why would you plate? Why would you totally, put yeah. on hard pants? Why would you? So in <laughs> hard some, pants. You know, <laughs> stiff pants. So in some ways, like, it feels like what we're doing is we're working to make our cooking match up with the way things feel. Right. Which feels right to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm wondering yeah. what you what you see in that um, connection between like the way the world has changed and the way we prioritize ourselves differently and how that's showing up in the way we're dealing with food. That's interesting. I mean, it just sort of brought up this image of what it was like to cook in spring and summer of 2020 mm-hmm. when you couldn't just go to the store and get whatever you needed. And so there was a lot more sort of like, well, I guess I'm going to have to put this in here. And, guess, you know, <laughs> there was a lot more improvis- improvisation. There was a lot more 
I'm just going to have to be okay with what I have. I had a CSA, which historically mm. I've not like loved CSA boxes because mm. I want to choose my produce, mm. but I kind of found it this like meditation for me to be like, okay, I'm going to work my way through. I'm going to use every single thing. And it became a challenge to like figure out how I'm going to use up every rutabaga. It was a different <laughs> kind of a chaos. And so I think those two things are really connected. All right, it's time for a quick snack break. I'll see you back here in a second. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with food writer Rachel Barron and chef extraordinaire Samin Nasrat, who were talking about how to find peace in the kitchen. I just read Lulu Miller's really beautiful science memoir, Why mm. Fish Don't Exist, which is all about oh, yeah. her sort of, um, I don't know, she was just striving to find order in the world, in a, in a chaotic mm. world. Surprise, she doesn't. And <laughs> there's this <laughs> line, <laughs> there's this line at the end that's so beautiful that I have just been sort of replaying in my mind for the last couple mm. weeks. And so when I read your piece, I went and got the book and I like underlined it because I was like, oh, I want to I want to read it to you because yeah. I think there's something in it that kind of speaks to the idea of what is it that we're seeking in cooking in this way? She says, the longer we examine our world, the stranger it proves to be. When I give up the fish, which is her um, search for order, when I give up the fish, mm -hmm. I get at long last that thing I had been searching for. A mantra, a trick, a prescription for hope. I get the promise that there are good things in store. 
not because I deserve them, not because I worked for them, but because they are as much a part of chaos as destruction and loss. Life, the flip side of death, growth of rot. So it's just like, wow. yeah, of course, like chaos is messy, but also in that mess, there's beauty. Like, you know, it's yeah. chaos is everything. And, mm. you know, when you throw everything up and it lands down, sometimes that the way it lands is going to be beautiful. <laughs> like, you know, right. <laughs> you have to let go of this, like, striving for order and perfection because it's only going to make life so, 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 so miserable. Thank you so much for reading that to me. That was um, another encouragement. I recently had a permalance gig or like anchor freelance gig that was felt somewhat full-time and it was the first time I had had like really like it felt like a stable you know office gig and I was laid off recently due to budget cuts and so that structure completely disappeared and so I think that was also like (laughs) this chaos has been flung upon me (laughs) I kind of have to just you know accept it and like let it in and just you know not drive myself crazy so (laughs) Probably at our core level, we're always struggling with what we can and can't control. That's probably the biggest human, like, bummer that we have is, like, what stuff can I be in charge of and what stuff can I not? And how do I know the difference and how do I sort of, like, exert force where I can and let go where I can? So you can look at cooking as, like, um, everything in my life is chaos, the world is falling apart, but I made these pancakes absolutely perfectly because I followed the yeah. recipe to a T. You know, like, I put exactly the right amount of baking soda. Yeah. And that gives me some feeling of control in a world that's topsy-turvy. Or, on the other hand, cooking could be a reminder mm-hmm. that things can be beautiful even if you don't control them. And I think that's, I mean, baking is a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. why I don't bake, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I like things to be a little chaotic. Yeah. But I'm wondering if you have ever had that experience, either one of you, where you have you have had the satisfaction of having something happen beautiful in the kitchen, specifically because you couldn't control it. Not in spite of it, but specifically because of Ooh. it. Ooh, oh, that's interesting. Oh. I know it happens all the time. But for me, I think just what you were saying, Carvel, rings really true my dad died last year and I had a really complicated Mm. relationship with him. So it was, and it was just a really complicated thing, but I think watching anyone close to you die is just a, Mm -hmm. is a kind of a reminder, um, a helpful reminder that your own life is not indefinite. And so, (laughs) and so I think for me, I've had this renewed sort of sense of like, Oh wait, like I have like you only live once, you know, I'm just like, Oh, you only live once. Yeah. (laughs) And like, do I really want to spend all of my time beating myself up? Because honestly, most of my unhappiness is from beating myself up and being really hard Mm. on myself. That's like (laughs) almost all of the, like why I'm uh, having a hard time in life is I'm mean to myself. And so if I can just figure out a way to be a little bit less mean to myself every day, maybe things will be a little bit less horrible. I've been reading all these books and listening to all these podcasts and like kind of the essence of everything that I'm interested in, not only right now since my dad's death, but over the last few years is kind of answering the question or discussing the question of like, what is a good life? Mm. And almost Mm. anyone wise or anyone who I want to listen to, it seems like their answer is kind of like a variation (laughs) of the same thing, you know, (laughs) like, which is, you know, being very aware and tuned into the world and like being present 
in the moment, being present with the people around you. Cooking is such a vibrant, alive, sensory and sensual thing. And so it's not something that I can control at all. So, I mean, how do you like uh, prep yourself to go in the kitchen? I remember like when I grew up, okay, cooking in my family is like pretty serious, especially for holidays. Mm -hmm. My mother was the youngest of 19 children, right? Oh, wow. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, cooking for holidays was this really big thing. And uh, I remember one time I made a joke to a friend of mine that like before I cook for Thanksgiving, I pray before I step into the Uh kitchen uh just to like let the ancestors come work through me as I like prepare this mac and cheese (laughs) or these greens or work in this turkey. And uh, and she, my friend, I just said that as a joke, but she's been quoting that to me for like years. She's like, are you going to pray before you go to the kitchen? And I've been thinking about why she's so obsessed with that and part of it is shout out yeshi and part of it is because um it feels to me like we do have to put ourselves in a certain state yes. in order to like uh be free and focused and present but also not like it's like you it's like it's almost like a little bit of a spiritual thing and i'm wondering samine how you get yourself into the state to like go into the kitchen yeah i mean i think i I wish I had like a candle lighting, <laughs> you know, I wish I had a tr- a, an actual, maybe I need to invent like a little ritual, but <laughs> it is the closest thing that I have to like a yoga practice or something like that, which is it's the time in my day when I'm out of my head and in my body. So I'm, mm. you know, I like smell the herbs, I touch the lettuces, you know, I, I really do my best to become sort of fully in my body as I sort of leave my desk, leave my head space and enter my body space. Being present with your whole body is how you're a good cook because you have to mm. smell and you have to look and you have to touch and taste. I try really hard to pay attention to my desires. You know, what do I want? Mm. You ask people like, what do you feel like eating? But I think that <laughs> it's like a kind of a dual question. It's like, what do you feel like the feel is also like, what do you feel like? Like, what kind of feelings are you having? You know? Um, yeah. Because I think feelings show up in the cooking too. And so that's not that far apart from what you were talking about, Rachel, when you're saying like, oh, when you're feeling really anxious, you're like, I want to eat a huge stick of butter. Yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> yes. just a you stick know? of butter. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, how is all this woo-woo talk landing for you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very, we're, I, we're, we're both very all, I'm sitting here. in Brooklyn. This is not <laughs> yeah, my like, Well, like, I, so I spend way too much time in my head um, mm. considering uh, all the anxiety I have <laughs> and all the therapy I do. <laughs> so I mean, so I definitely, I'm, I'm very neurotic and anxious. I go to a yeah, lot of therapy too. Woo-hoo. So that's not... So um, virtual high five. Yeah. <laughs> um, food has become lower stakes for me. I used to see food as kind of like, I'm like, oh, the world is sucks. And so everything I eat has to be perfect. And now food is something I can relax. And it's not something I'm as obsessed with anymore. I'm still really, really passionate about it. And, you know, eating it, writing about it. But it's something that is just sort of seamlessly blended with other elements of my life. And I feel like that is uh, working for me. <laughs> mm. I guess I want to like offer that we can reframe mm. good cooking as cooking that makes you happy yep. instead of cooking that's done perfectly. And sometimes doing things well can result in things that make you happy, mm. but sometimes it's just doing what makes you happy, period, point blank. Yeah. Um, Samina, I, I know that um, this is a big question, so I forgive me if it's oh, just yeah. too broad, but like people go into the kitchen and they're like, where do I start? And I wonder... 
like what advice you have for people who are like, I don't even know where to begin when I walk into the kitchen. I just get overwhelmed by the existence of everything. Hmm. If you have that experience of going into the kitchen and you're like, I don't even know what to make, take stock of a few things. There's not one answer that I can give you of, oh, the best thing to make is pasta with butter. Because yeah. I don't know anything about you or your circumstances. <laughs> so um, I think first you kind of want to like take a minute and see like, what do I feel like? You know, what am I craving? You know, it sounds like probably a person who's asking that kind of question maybe is a little bit intimidated yeah. with their skill level. And so we don't want to, you know, start with a recipe that's like super complicated and has you know, many different steps or involves the stove and the oven or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would say choose carefully, choose something, you know, simple, choose something when you're sifting through in the New York Times cooking app or in a cookbook, choose something that's specifically like easy or 30 minutes or less or something like that. I myself make a lot of quesadillas. I myself make a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches. I make a lot of toast. Mm -hmm. I make a lot of, um, you know, one thing I make a lot of that I really have grown really fond of over the last couple of years is um, that same sort of crusty bread that Rachel yeah. <laughs> was talking about from the like mm -hmm. local bakery. I really have grown like super into cutting a thick slice of it and frying mm. it instead of toasting it in the oven. Right. I fry it in olive oil. Ooh. If you have a cast iron pan, I would put that mm. pan over medium heat, wait for it to warm up, add like a thin layer of olive oil, which is probably like two tablespoons mm. and then put, the toast down. It's nice if it's maybe a day stale, but it doesn't have to be. And then you kind of just like leave it there. <laughs> you don't need to move it around a whole bunch. Let it start browning and it'll start sizzling. And if it gets, uh, you know, if you start seeing smoke or it's, <laughs> or it's like you're hearing, you're hearing like a lot of really fast sizzles, it's probably too hot. And then you can start turning it, um, not flipping it, but just turning it and, and looking and seeing how brown it is so you can make sure it's browning evenly. And I, I like it pretty golden brown. And then I'll flip mm. it and do the same thing on the other side. And if the pan needs a little more oil, I'll add a little more oil. And then I have this kind of beautiful golden fried bread that um, you can take a clove of garlic and swipe it with garlic. Oh, yeah. And then the like simplest stuff that I like to put on there is either like fresh mozzarella or burrata or um, honestly, probably my favorite ingredient that I never really have been without for the last three or four years is ricotta, just like regular ricotta. Yeah. And so I'll just put like a little salt and pepper in ricotta and smear ricotta on, on garlic and, and fried bread. And it's so joyful. Yeah. And then if it's summertime, I'll put a tomato in there and other times of year I'll put sauteed greens on there you know, you could um, put some chili crisp on there, <laughs> right. but it's a Perfect. good breakfast. It's a good lunch. It's a good dinner. It's a good, uh, it's just a really delicious treat. Um, okay. Yeah, fried bread. I love it. You were describing the making of toast and the radio host in me was like, this is so basic. We're just describing how to make, how long are we going to talk about toast? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait a second. What's <laughs> happening is you're describing being present with your food. That it's not just like, make some toast and then put some thing on it. It's yeah. like, here's how you sit with the toast and pay attention to it and determine when it's time to turn it over. Mm -hmm. And here's the, and so there's something about it that like is very much about um, the time we take with things. Yeah. And I remember I, I actually wrote a piece about this. Um, the, a friend of mine who's Armenian was 
making this herb sauce that her grandparents used to make. And she was picking every single leaf off the herb, and it was taking forever. And I was sitting there watching her, and I was going, dude, she was telling us this story about when she went back to Armenia and visited the, like, the village her family's from, but she was taking like forever to pick every leaf off the herb. And I was like, just yeah. chop the herbs, let's go. And then I was like, why am I in such a hurry? Because no, we're literally on vacation. And it dawned on me that, like, yes, the thing that we do with cooking is that we don't I think the acquisition mindset is like we need to quickly do this thing so we can do something bigger whereas actually like there's this other mindset that I'm observing which is that we need to do this thing slower so that we can do it better feels a bit anti-capitalist feels a little anti-capitalist in a good way way. (laughs) I'm saying that with a smile (laughs) (laughs) you know if I had that moment to do over again the one you just heard What I would have said is that we think we have to get the cooking over so we can do something bigger, but that actually the cooking itself can be something bigger. It reminds me of this quote I heard recently, the person who loves walking goes much farther than the person who loves the destination. And I know as a former single dad that the demands of life can make you feel like I don't have time to enjoy cooking. We have homework and soccer practice and bedtime. But my experience was that it didn't actually take me longer to pay attention while cooking. It just made everything feel calmer and more spacious. And it made the food taste better. Oh, and here's a little tip that can go a long way. Like Samin and Rachel's toast creations, it's easy to nail the basics and then accessorize. Play with the toppings. You can get a wide variety just by doing that. I have been on a journey not so different than yours, just like the, I think the professionals version of it, where, um, you know, in the first like six or eight years of my career, I was obsessed with technique and everything being perfect. And I, one of my best friends and I would like go out to eat. We almost had a sport. We had sport eating (laughs) where we would save our money and go out to eat at all the sort of like fanciest and best restaurants. And then we would just sort of like criticize everything. And because we were sort of just trying to figure out what is everything? What's it made out of? How did they do it? How would we do it? Would we do it better? Would we do it differently? And then, but we were kind of killing the joy. There was no joy in it anymore. It was not Mm. fun. It was not fun to eat in a restaurant because we were just obsessing over how everybody was working. Would we, and it was not fun to be near us. It was not fun. It was just like, it was horrible. It was a horrible person. It was a horrible way to be. And it was horrible to be around us. And, um, Yeah. And I had to sort of reset myself and realize this is not who I want to be in the world. And this is not also what I want my experience of eating to be. And this is not ultimately what food is about for me. Because food, ultimately, like, you could just give me, I don't know, pretty bad cafeteria, you know, like Mm. elementary school cafeteria pizza. And if I'm sitting there at a table with a whole bunch of kids and we're, like, having a great time – that was a great meal. Like, that's the thing yeah. I'm going to remember is the funny conversation I had with a whole bunch of third graders, right? Like, not the pizza. <laughs> I don't care about the pizza. Mm. And so mm. um, I think, sure, I'm going to attempt always to make something nice, but I'm not I'm not going out to eat or bringing food over to a whole bunch of restaurant critics. They're not grading me every time. I have to stop grading me every time. We're coming to the end here, um, but uh, I'm curious to hear from each of you Honestly, what do you think you're going to cook next? What's the next thing you're going to make? Mm. <laughs> um, I have uh, some Trader Joe's cascatelli 
and then I have some kale. And so maybe I'll do something with the cascatelli and the kale Mm -hmm. and some anchovies Mm -hmm. and, I don't know, chili flakes, parmesan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Classic. The classics. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, Samin, what what about you? What do you think the next thing you're going to cook? I have some brown rice in my rice cooker from yesterday. Uh Uh-huh. I might fry an egg. I don't know. Like, I'm so nice. hungry. Yeah. I need to go down. I probably will, like, as soon as we got off, just go eat. Yeah. Uh, like it's an like, egg and fried rice. Yeah. Same. I think I'm going to do um, one of my go-tos, is, which is, like, um, this te- tempeh thing. Mm. You crumble the tempeh, you fry it, and then on one side, and a little bit of oil. Sometimes I'll mix sesame and olive oil, which I don't know if you're supposed to do, but I like it. And then I'll sort of turn it, all of it over when it's brown on one side, then I'll salt it, and then I'll mix up a little sauce that's like um, lime juice, soy sauce, maple syrup, and whatever spicy thing. It might be sriracha. It might be some kind of like other sambal or whatever. And I just mix all that together and then cook the tempeh in that. And I make it super greasy and salty, and it's so good. It's so good. It sounds so good. Yeah. Ultimately, it's nice to remember that the point of cooking is to nourish ourselves. And it's hard to do that if you're stressed out about making everything perfect. So my hope for you and for all of us is that we can be grateful for whatever little food we have, that we can find just a few minutes to be present in the kitchen when we're cooking it, that we can take a few basics like bread, rice, or potatoes and experiment with how to add to them and that we can sit down and appreciate the person we share food with, especially if that person is you. I just want to offer a sincere thank you to Rachel and Samin for being here and for talking about our challenges in the kitchen. We'll link to Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat and to Rachel's Chaos Cooking article in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. What is your go-to meal in the midst of all the chaos, the comfort food that helps you find peace in the kitchen? Leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001, and we'll play it in a future episode. You can also send us a note at howto at slate.com for any other problems you need us to cook up a solution for. And if you like what you heard today, do us a favor and tell just one other person to check out our show. That's how we can keep helping new people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Amanda Ripley is my co-host. And I'm Carbo Wallace. Thanks for listening. Listener.